0: All right, grab your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter 5. We spent the last few weeks considering who is the church and then last two weeks specifically looking at uh, church leadership and, uh, I mean, church membership. This morning, we're going to transition and uh, consider church leadership part 1 of 2. Um, and so 1 Peter 5... And uh, we have many different leadership models styles that are prevalent in the local church today um, and even in this room we had a lot of, we have a lot of different experiences um, backgrounds from which we all come with um, uh, how we've seen church leadership in the context of the local church. so we have uh, some churches that kind of operate under a CEO model where they're where the pastor, the elder, the leader, serves as kind of an executive who administers functioning of the church, kind of a business mindset. That's the way in which the church operates. There's the, the primarily visionary model, where leaders cast vision and seem to live at like a thirty-five thousand foot level, um, while the rest of the church goes through life on the ground. Um, There's the uh, communicator model where someone who has more of a charismatic personality and can engage audiences uh, rallies a crowd around a cause and uh, that could be or could not be the gospel potentially. Uh, The model that is the theologian where there's an expert expositor who who considers his role to uh, preach effectively and that's the primary avenue through which he leads the coach model where uh, the person, the leader is consistently pointing people to what to do, where to go, encouraging along the way, providing motivation, all those things. And, uh, you know, in, in this room, um, we have uh, different experiences and um, different frameworks from which we think about church leadership. And so what I want to encourage us to do over the next two weeks is to, uh, just as we've been talking over the past couple weeks, let all of our experiences and thoughts and ideas and opinions be filtered through the reality of scripture and let scripture form what we hold as what biblical church leadership uh, looks like now all these models that we just referred to they have benefit and validity and at times and in different seasons are necessary uh, in the local church, however, none of these are the primary leadership model that the New Testament presents for the pastor/elder. I'll use those terms inter- interchangeably, just so you'll know, uh, pastor/elder for the church. <coughs> the Bible uses one uh, primary word to describe the leadership role, and that role, is, that word is shepherd. One primary word, shepherd, and so in, titles are going to include that of overseer, elder, pastor, and shepherd. And so, in the New Testament. Um, uh, These words are really used kind of interchangeably. And so through the New Testament, shepherding is a consistent model for the pastor elder, for that group of men who are leading the church. In Acts chapter 20, Paul tells the Ephesian elders to do one thing, to shepherd the flock of God. That's their one commission that the Apostle Paul gives to them. We see that role in Ephesians 4, Hebrews 13, even in our text uh, today. Now, let's just come to an agreement here. We all contextually have a little bit of a challenge here because none of us have sheep. Right, and so practically, we're missing out on some of the illustration here with what it means to be a shepherd. And uh, in New Testament times, it was a readily available example. Right, they they had sheep, they had shepherds, and so they could point to different people. And Jesus himself identified himself as the good shepherd, and the people who were following him could've, could have could could have made a connection. And so, what I want to do is walk through the text this morning and help us to understand what biblical shepherding is about what it involves mostly who the biblical shepherds are in uh, in the local church Uh, what one thing we have to guard against in terms of leadership is kind of the kind of a prevailing method of hey let's find a contextual model that works and use that model right because pastoral ministry you may not realize this but pastoral ministry has evolved for 2,000 years now and through the different ages of the church, you've had different ways in which the pastoral ministry has been presented and has been led, and so if the CEO model works, well, then let's use the CEO model. If the coaching model works, well, then let's use the coaching model, Um, and however, all of these ideas and premonitions have to come into subjection to to the scripture, and so for the next couple weeks, we'll look at Bible and say, and and see, okay, the Bible says, shepherd the flock of God there in 1 Peter 5 2. What exactly does that look like for us? We'll pull the principle out of the text and then hopefully contextualize it into our day and see how that actually applies to us as Redeemer Church. So let's read 1 Peter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 5 and then unpack the text together. 1 Peter 5 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we express our need and dependency for you to teach us your word this morning. And so we trust by the Holy Spirit you'll take the the written word and communicate to us the living word of Christ. And help us to see what biblical church leadership is. And Lord, where necessary, help us to see what biblical church leadership is not. And then we trust you, Lord, to give us guidance in how we make sense of this and make this a a practical reality for us here at Redeemer Church. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you did not just send us into this world to kind of figure things out on the fly, but you've given us the Bible. And so we want to adhere to, we want to obey the Bible. We want to honor your name and to rightly be your church and pursue your type of church leadership. And so give us grace to do exactly that. Help us as we teach your word and receive your word and respond to your word this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So biblical model of church leadership is primarily that of shepherding. So we'll see. We'll see five, five realities that come out of 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 here this morning. The first reality is the context of shepherding. So all these will be the something of shepherding. So number one, the context of shepherding. He begins verse 1, chapter 5 with so, which is a clear indication that we are connecting back to that which has been previously written. So if you if you look back at the previous section, we understand that things in the church to which Peter is writing are... Not exactly uh, easy. They're experiencing a great deal of suffering. So look at 1 Peter 4.1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we have the idea of suffering here. 1 Peter 4.12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, not if, as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter four sixteen and 17, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Just so you know, verse 17 has been grossly taken out of context for years and years and years with the intention of leading God's people to repent of sin in the church. That is not at all what Peter is writing here. When he says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, he's referring here to not a judgment like a, a, a punitive judgment, but a purifying type judgment where God is purifying his church and he's using this primarily primary element in the context here that of suffering. And so he's connecting his admonition here in chapter 5 back to this idea of suffering. So he's connecting these con- concluding words of chapter 4, to the introductory words of chapter 5, and he's addressing elders specifically in verse 1. Why is he doing this? Because Peter understands, as a leader in the local church, as a fellow elder in the local church, suffering puts a strain on the entire redeemed community. And the implication here is that elders are going to be on the front line of that battle engaging in this reality of suffering they're going to be the first targets of this. There's suffering persecution coming against the church. And so when, when, the, when the situation becomes intense, when suffering becomes a prevalent reality for the church, it helps to know what we are really giving our lives to. And he's telling them here in verse 1, he's in this battle as well. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. like Just, just a gentle word of encouragement there from the apostle Peter. I am, a, I am in this with you. And so there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's an encouragement to those who would aspire to leadership in the local church. Remember, the context, especially chapter 4, is that of suffering. It's hard. It's difficult. It's stressful. It's heavy. It's burdensome. And so the admonition here, as Peter goes into this exhortation to the elders among the church, is if you aren't compelled to push in further when things get more difficult, you may not be called to be a shepherd. And that's okay. That's okay. Not not everyone in this room is called to be a shepherd of the local church in a leadership capacity. And especially if we're more inclined to back away when things get hard. And so verse 1, he says, So... So since suffering exists and judgment begins at the household of God, shepherd. Right? So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. When things are good, when things are smooth, when things are fun, shepherding is somewhat easy. When things are painful, when things are difficult, when things are hard, shepherding is equally painful and difficult and hard. And so Peter is being very, very open and honest here, very authentic when we think about the role of church leadership. And so the context of church leadership is not just someone gets appointed to an office. The context of church leadership is this life is a mess, and a lot of that mess is indicated by persecution and suffering, and as a shepherd, you are in the middle of that with your people. So that's the context of shepherding secondly we see the task of shepherding Peter exhorts the elders to do one thing in verse 2 the task of shepherding is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you this is the imperative command in the passage the word is not a noun here the word is a verb and so is it it is an action that someone is doing and so as a shepherd the shepherd shepherds all right so using the model of Using the model of a shepherd, what does a pastor, what does an elder, what does a shepherd actually do? Well, let's, let's just connect some dots back to John chapter 10, the, where, where Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd. So, like, if I'm going to, as a pastor, as a leader, one of the leaders of this local church, if I'm going to say, hey, I need an example, I need a model, where's my best model? Christ, right? Look at what Jesus did, and we just do the same that he did. And so some things we see from John chapter 10 that help us to understand what this task of shepherding is all about. One, we see the faithful shepherd loves the flock. In verse 2, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. The faithful shepherd loves the flock because it's not his flock. Did you catch it there? Look at, what it, look at how he identifies the flock there in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. It helps us to remember that the church belongs to God primarily. Primarily. And he has given to us this privilege of loving this flock. In John 10, verses 11 through 13, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Why? Because he does not love the flock. The faithful shepherd loves the flock. Also, the faithful shepherd lives among the flock. The faithful shepherd lives among the flock. Going on there in verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. There's a touchableness that comes with the ministry of shepherding. There, there's, there's a touchable reality that has to come in the shepherd and sheep relationship. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. And see, this is why some of the, some of the prevalent models don't work. The, the model of the primary CEO where we're administratively working this thing like a business doesn't work. The model of just a a purely theologian where you're not in the trenches with people doesn't work because you're divorced from real life with everyone. The faithful shepherd lives among the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here's something for us to understand. The shepherd is actually a sheep. Before the shepherd is a shepherd, the shepherd is a sheep. And so... Based on what we're seeing here, based on what Jesus is teaching John 10, rest of the New Testament, the shepherd is a shepherding sheep. That's what we do as church leaders. We are sheep, but we shepherd the sheep of the Lord. And so the shepherd is touchable. The shepherd knows the sheep. The sheep know him. The shepherd is not just on the sidelines shouting out orders into the game to everybody in between the lines, but the shepherd is actually in the middle of the game with everyone in between the the lines And so the shepherd lives among the flock. And so th- we ha- there has to be a reality where the f- faithful shepherd loves the flock, the faithful shepherd shepherd lives among the flock, but then also the faithful shepherd leads the flock. Going on here in verse 2, Peter writes, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. The faithful shepherd is serious about exercising oversight. And this is the verb form of the word that's used other, in other places, overseer. The shepherd is a, is a leader. The shepherd is an overseer. John 10, 27. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they what? Follow me. And so the shepherd, the faithful shepherd, th- those who lead the local church should be able to say with the apostle Paul, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Should be able to echo the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And the faithful shepherd leads the flock. And here's why this matters. Our commission as shepherds is to exercise oversight. The elder is a shepherd who exercises oversight. Another way of translating this phrase here, exercising oversight, is oversees the spiritual state of the sheep. And so the as, as our leadership plurality develops, we'll talk more about that next week, as our leadership plurality develops, the the, the task of... The shepherd of the shepherds is to love the flock, to live the flock, live with the flock, and lead the flock. The faithful shepherd doesn't run from or shrink back from hard seasons or hard situations. In fact, the faithful shepherd actually runs toward those things. When persecution, when suffering arises, when challenges are presented, we're so inclined to fall back. But those upon whom God has said, hey, you're a shepherd, are actually the ones who go against the flow of people and push into those situations. Why? Because the task of shepherding is to oversee and lead and love people in their spiritual health. This is discipleship sanctification. We said, we've said several times, the local church is the primary avenue through which we are sanctified as Christians. Like we need one another to be sanctified. And as shepherds, part of our role is to lead people toward sanctification. And, and a major part of that is 1 first, first Corinthians 11. One. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Like the local church leaders, pastors, elders, shepherds here should be able to say, Watch me. Watch me. Follow me. Follow my example. And when I mess up, follow my example of repentance, right? It's not an example of perfection, we get that. Like we're not, we're not exempt, it's not like God calls us to lead his local church and then we're all exempt from all the trappings of life. In fact, they may be amplified, right? And so there, there's a sense in which the task of shepherding is leading people toward Christ-likeness. So we have the context of shepherding, we have the task of shepherding, and then number three, we have the motivation of shepherding. Motivation of shepherding verses two and three. There's an encouragement and an admonition here. There's there there are three don't statements and there are three do statements. But all of these speak to motivation. Notice Peter doesn't say, Here's how you need to shepherd the flock of God, and give like practical steps like number one, do this, number two, do this, number three, do this, all the way to like number twenty seven. Do this. Do all these things, and you'll be able to shepherd effectively. But instead, he, addresses, he doesn't address method. He addresses motivation. He gives the how more than he gives the what here. And so the principle here is that um, a shepherd himself must be motivated in this regard. This is 1 Timothy 3.1. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Like there, there's, 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 a, there's a, a desire that the Lord places within the heart of a man that causes him to say this is something that I want to do and to serve the local church in this regard. And so we don't have to coerce or manipulate people to become shepherds. Like we, don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to twist people's arms. We don't have to say, hey, there's 200 people here. We only have two leaders. We need seven more. We need you, you, and you, and you, and you. And align this leadership method. No, we look to motivation and we let motivation drive Method. Now, here's, here's something for us to understand. We can teach methods, right? We can teach how-tos, but we can't teach motivation. We can't teach motivation. Motivation is a gifting that God places in the heart of a man to lead his local church. And so who we are determines what we do. So what is the motivation of the shepherd, verses 2 and 3? First, the faithful shepherd is motivated by obedience rather than obligation. We're motivated by obedience rather than obligation. Beginning of verse 2, Paul says, uh, Peter says, Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. The faithful shepherd is motivated to do what he does, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Huge difference. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. If we're doing it because we have to, well, then we need to find something else to do. Willingly here is that of a wholehearted desire. Shepherding is to be a joy for those shepherding the local church, and it is to be a joy for the local church itself. So the faithful shepherd is motivated by obedience rather than obligation. The shepherd does not do what he does because he's obligated to do so. He's being obedient to that desire that the Lord has placed within him. So faithful shepherd is motivated by obedience rather than obligation. Also, under motivation, the faithful shepherd is selfless rather than selfish, second half of verse 2. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for s- shameful gain, but eagerly. There, there's, no, there's no self-serving reality in the ministry of the shepherd. And Jesus is our example here. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. Right? Jesus is that example. Mo- this motivation for the local church shepherds has to be others-focused. There's always these two, and it's kind of uh, expressed in a lot of different forms, but there are always two dangers in local church leadership. And those dangers are power and greed. Power and greed. And we can't, as shepherds, we can't fall victim to these. As Peter says, don't do this for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. Do it because you want to. Don't do it just because you think you can get something out of it, is what he's saying here. Not for shameful gain. And that doesn't just mean money. Right? That doesn't, that's, that's not just financial, it could be prestige, it could be manipulation, like you're, you're wanting, you're wanting the, the, the worship of all the people that you're leading. This, this could come in a lot of different forms, but there, there can't be shameful gain for the local church shepherds. It has to be an eager desire there. So we're motivated by obedience rather than obligation. We are selfless rather than selfish. Also motivation, the faithful shepherd uh, demonstrates obedience. He doesn't simply demand obedience. The faithful shepherd demonstrates obedience. He doesn't demand obedience. Look at verse 3. He says, also, this is how you're shepherding. Shepherd the flock of God this way. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. New American Standard translates it here. Don't lord it over those in your charge. The shepherd uses his authority to do one thing. Serve the body. Not domineering. Not saying, hey, you're going to do this because I'm saying you're going to do this. But we serve. We don't enter into shepherding in order to order people around. This is not a boss-employee type relationship. This is not an executive and uh, employee type relationship. The shepherd uses his authority to serve. And as in doing so, he is obedient to one and only the chief shepherd. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears. You see, here's. Here's something a lot of people miss about the local church. A local church is the premier volunteer organization. No one made you come here this morning. Well, maybe, some of you younger ones. But we pray that the Lord will change that in your heart. Or maybe some of your spouses, whatever. You're here primarily under your own free will. And so this is a volunteer organization. And so no one engages, no one serves, no one leads simply because we have to. There's an element of want to that comes with this. And this happens a lot in regard to the shepherding reality. Our motivation is that of we, we want to do this. like we, we can't imagine doing anything other than this. And when we're not able to do this, there's, 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 there's a reality that's missing in our heart and in our lives. So we have that context, the task, the motivation of shepherding. And then number four, we see the re- reward of shepherding. Verse four. Peter writes, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Which means your reward is eternal. In this life, it may drive you into the ground. Leadership in the local church could very well just drive you into the ground. And I'm not just throwing words around here it's burdensome it's heavy it's difficult it's challenging and it may very well drive someone to the ground but the reward is eternal when the faithful shepherd is a concern, is is concerned about the here and now he's also confident in the what is to come and so we can do this and with hope and confidence shepherd the church with with hope and confidence because we trust in the promise maker the chief shepherd the chief shepherd, our suffering, our persecution, our sacrifice aren't blind. We have a promise, and this applies to the church at large, specifically leaders. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Back in 1 Peter 4 and verse uh, 13, he wrote, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you, only, that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Christ. What is our reward, church? Our reward is not that Redeemer becomes some dynamo church. Our reward is Christ. As as a pastor, shepherd, elder, teacher, overseer, And others who will come alongside me in the future. What what is our reward as a pastor? It's not for us to be able to say, man, look at Redeemer Church. Now, we'll see in just a minute. There should be joy in that reality. But maybe be humble by this. You're not my reward. (laughs) Christ is my reward. And for those of you who will lead, who will shepherd here, Redeemer is not your reward. Christ is your reward. And when Christ is your reward, those that God has entrusted to you, the flock of God that is among you, become a great source of joy. Right, Because we're seeing people grow in Christ-likeness. We're seeing people grow in the reality of, no, this world is not my reward. Christ is my reward. No, the dreams I have for my family is not my reward. Christ is my reward. No, the, the dreams I have for my career is, are not my reward. But Christ is my reward. And so there's this reward of shepherding. And so he says you'll receive this unfading crown of glory. One writer about how he refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd writes this, the designation of Jesus as the chief shepherd reminds the leaders they are fundamentally servants, not autocrats. Their positions of leadership are a responsibility, not a privilege by which they advance their own status. As shepherds, they serve under the authority of the chief shepherd, doing his will rather than theirs. Why? Because he is our reward. He's our reward. There's a reward in this reality of shepherding. And then, fifthly, the key to shepherding. So verse 5, he concludes this, this one thought segment on shepherding with the statement, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How can... What we've been talking about for the past few minutes happened in the local church, and it really be a joy for the leaders as well, for the members of that local church. Humility. It happens through humility. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another. You see how he just changed the direction of his writing there, right? He said, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then in verse 5, he comes and he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. This applies to everyone. Elders and church members. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And so we've addressed primarily the, the, the roles of the shepherd, the pastor, the elder through the text. But... You, the church, need to understand something as well. While the shepherd's work is hard, the shepherd's work should be a joy. Like our work should be a joy. And that depends on us as a church. And so statements like Hebrews 13 come in and help us to understand what's going on here. Where Hebrews writing to the church, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so my work as the pastor, teacher, elder, shepherd here, and others as we increase my fold, increase the body of elders here, like our work should be a joy. Does not mean it should be easy. Hear me clearly. In fact, we're dealing with sinners, and so it's not going to be easy. Does not mean it's going to be clean. Most of the time it's going to be messy, but it's going to be a joy. How? Because of humility. In humility, the shepherd leaders the shepherd leaders consider the needs, health, well-being of the church as being more important than their own visions and dreams of grandeur, the perfect church, all these things. And in humility, the members of the church encourage and submit to godly shepherding, knowing that God has appointed these people to oversee their discipleship and sanctification. Part of our rub with shepherding is our innate pushback against authority. Right? We, just, we just don't like people to have authority over us. And part of humility says, no, I'm actually okay with godly, biblical authority. Right? It doesn't give me like, the, the, the freedom to just lead however I want, to do whatever I want, to say whatever I want, to tell people to do whatever I want them to do. No, because Hebrews 13 tells me, no, I'm, I'm keeping watch over your souls. I'm keeping watch over your souls. And so when does the church begin to derail? It's when we don't check our pride at the door. It's when we don't repent of these prideful realities that push back against authority, that push back against community, that push back against gospel pushing into our lives. And we we have to realize humility is the key. And here again, obviously, our example is Christ, the one who has all authority, chose to express his authority through humility. Right? And not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now something else is at work here in verse five. Look, he says, Likewise you who are younger you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know who's included in the all of you statement? It's the church, but it is also the elders. Right? It, it is also the elders. So it's not as if he's referring to the elders up through verse 4, and then he starts referring to the church with the elders exempt. He says, all of you, including those that he's just referred to. And so the church leader is first a church member. Right? Before, before I'm, I'm pastor of a church, I am member of a church. Like, I am a sheep who gets the ridiculous, crazy privilege to be a shepherd as well. So all of the realities for the sheep, I'm not exempt from. Other leaders are not exempt from, just because we have this other office, this other privilege, this other reality. It's, no, all of you, clothe yourselves, all of you, with you. And like the language literally is, put on humility. Right? And it's an action for us as the church, which lets us know that default is not humility. And he doesn't say put on pride, because that's where we are. Right? He doesn't say put on selfish motivation because that's where we already exist. He says, put on, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. The best garment you can put on yourself to clothe yourself is that of humility. And what do we do? We do this with joy. We do this with joy. Church leadership. When shepherds lead and sheep follow in ways that please the Lord. Harmony just happens. Harmony just happens. And God's sons and daughters, in the context of the local church, have the privilege of living and existing in joy. And it's not situational, it's not circumstantial. Suffering comes, not taking my joy. Persecution comes, crisis hits, tragedy strikes, you can't take away my joy. can't take away my joy. Because my joy is in Christ. And so we have to ask, as we're continuing these steps as redeemer. Will this be true for us? Will we as a body clothe ourselves, me included, right? Definitely me included. Will I clothe myself with humility? Will I take this shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, and all these admonitions. Will I take these and clothe myself with humility? Will you clothe yourself with humility? And pursue the benefit of one another as we seek to glorify Christ together. The flock belongs to God. Shepherd the flock of God. It's His church. We are His children. And He's given us this crazy privilege to live with one another and pursue Christ together And to do it in some very intentional ways. And part of that happens in the context of local church leadership. And so God has entrusted some to lead. He's entrusted some to follow. And somehow by His grace and for His glory, He makes it all make sense. Among the road bumps and the hiccups and the potholes along the way, There's this reality, overarching it all, that Christ is our reward. When the chief shepherd appears, when he comes and makes all things new, and we know that this is our reward, this is what we are moving toward, this is why we do what we do, it becomes a reality that impacts what we do now. And that primarily happens as we clothe ourselves, all of us, with humility. But then there's this other phrase there in verse 5. Toward one another. Toward one another. This is, why the shepherd, this is why the pastor cannot exist divorced from the flock. Right? This is why the shepherd can't exist away from the sheep. The shepherd's not just up on a hill pointing in a direction. The shepherd is in the middle of the context of the sheep. Why? Because we have to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And so, if there's a one another that has to happen, what is required in addition to me? At least one other person. At least one. And the principle is it's all of us. We're all in this together. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because my pride is more expressed when I'm in the one another's than it is when I'm alone. It permeates. It begins, it begins to, to mutate, if you will, while I'm alone, but then it's expressed when I'm with one another. And so Peter comes and he says, clothe yourselves with humility, all of you with humility toward one another, toward one another. Why? Because we're pursuing Christ together. And we are declaring ourselves to be dead in Christ and alive in Christ. We've been made new. This is who we are. We were dead in sin, but Christ made us alive. And so who we are now determines what we do as the church, and this applies also to local church leadership. And so here's, here's, here's what I want to ask you as the church. As we continue to move forward with the direction for Redeemer, one, let's genuinely pray together. What does clothing ourselves with humility toward one another really look like? Like How, how, how can I make that a reality in everyday life? But then also, pray for leadership. Pray for leadership. This is not some casual thing. This is an eternal reality. And so there's there's a depth to church leadership that we as the church need to pray toward. And pray as we are developing church leadership that we will be wise and clear on who that needs to be and more specifically what that looks like and I don't mind telling you at all, pray for me. If you're not praying for me, if you've not been praying for me, well, then you need to start, right? And you can just pray, Lord, help him to clothe himself with humility toward one another. If you don't know how to pray for me, that's a good place to start right there. And let's pray that as we're moving together, seeking the scriptures, looking to see what the Bible says, hey, this is what Redeemer Church needs to be. This is who Redeemer Church needs to be. Here's what Redeemer Church needs to look like. Here's what Redeemer Church needs to do. That we would be wise and we would be constantly humble in that pursuit. Why? Because the church is it, The the gospel is at stake here. The gospel is at stake. What we do, the direction that we take, will advance the gospel or not? And so with that reality, shouldn't that compel us to pray? Now, the good thing is God is reigning sovereign over his church, and so we rejoice, right? And as we are following him in obedience and seeking him in prayer, looking at the scriptures, there's, there's, there's a confidence that just that hammers our hearts that says, Lord, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this probably in a way that we don't predict, so that you alone get the glory. Right? You just, I mean, a year ago, I would not have seen this room assembled, just so you know. Like, the people in this room assembled would have not seen this coming together as it has in this way. And it's a reminder for me as a pastor, the Lord's doing this. Lord's doing this. And some will remain, some will connect to local churches elsewhere, that's fine. Our, our desire is that we advance the gospel through the local church and that that would happen here at Redeemer.